And I'm supposed to pull it together after that. Ah, what a nice surprise. Mm. Wow. Well, with a daughter like that, I, I know it's uh, hard to believe that I could ever be ashamed of my tribe. I've never been ashamed of this tribe, but and I'm not talking about the OU-OSU game last night. Uh, but there was one time I was ashamed to be a Christian. I was about 20 years old, and uh, I was in between college and seminary, about to become a man of the cloth, right? <laughs> Scary and humorous thought for me at the time. I felt so unworthy, so... But I thought, you know, this would be my last chance probably to really have a secular job. So that summer, I got a job as a waiter here in town. And it was in a, a brand-new restaurant. It was all the rage, hour-and-a-half wait every night to come and eat there. And I was, I was a waiter. I had no idea how difficult the job that was. The, the, the double, double shifts, the swollen ankles, uh, you know, even at 20-something, I, I, I was hurting. I, I knew nothing about booze, and yet I had to act like I knew the difference between Boodles and Bombay. You know, I had no idea what I was talking about, but I'd been, I'd been trained, and they were really uh, big on the training of their waiters. And then, then since I was the low man on the totem pole, one of the new waiters at this particular place, uh, and not one of the best waiters at this particular place, I always got the, the junk shifts. You know what I mean? The ones that no one else wanted. Uh, so I had to come in and work on Sunday. And I thought, wow, you know, that, that gives me hope for the world. All these secular folks that I'm working with, you know, want to take off on Sunday so they can go to church. <laughs> and I actually said it out loud one time in the kitchen. And all of the other waiters that were back there turned and looked at me, looked at one another, and laughed out loud. And they said, Chris, we you're not working on Sunday because we want to go to church. You're working on Sunday because that's the worst day for tips in the whole week. It's that church crowd coming in. And I was embarrassed. I, I, I was really embarrassed. I was, I was ashamed in that moment to be a Christian because I thought it might actually be true. Now, the truth of the matter is, if God's people are like God, the last thing that ought to be said about a Christian is that they're stingy. That ought to be an oxymoron, right? To serve a God as loving, as giving, as self-giving, as generous as our God is, and then we represent him in the world that way? I, I, I've had a moral sense of obligation for a tip ever since. And the sad thing about it is, when I go to a restaurant, I tip so generously, apparently, to, to everyone else, that I become one of the favorite people to serve in that restaurant. I'm, I'm telling you, I am the best served customer. Any pl I can go over here to Las Caballeras or whatever that thing is down there, and I walk in the door, they... they guide me to the seat, my seat, which happens to be in the bar because it's always open. I go in, I sit down in the bar, and they bring me my food. I don't even have to order. <laughs> I don't have to order a drink. 
They, they all know, bring him his diet, Dr. Pepper. It's sitting on my table as I sit down. And that, that's just the repercussion of God's goodness being reflected back to me in that moment. It's not mine. <laughs> I think that's how it ought to be everywhere. I, I, I feel divinely called to change waiters and waitresses' experiences around the world that Sunday is the shift you never want to miss. Amen? Would you join me in that? All of you are looking at me like I'm crazy this morning. I'm serious about this. What, what, a, what a horrible witness in the world that is because it's just basic to being a disciple, really, is to be generous. Now, this morning, this is our pledge Sunday here at this particular church. If you don't go to this particular church, you probably pledge somewhere else or you give regularly someplace else, and that's absolutely fine. But hear me, this sermon isn't just for those of us who are engaged in that particular act of worship this morning. This is for every Christian. If, if we as disciples of Jesus are not, among other things, generous, we are misrepresenting our God in the world. That ought to be a pause after that. <laughs> that really ought to seek in. I want to say some things this morning about this crazy kind of giving that we'll look at here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, in which the Macedonians were begging to give. <laughs> Does that sound brain damaged or what? They, 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 they were begging to give. They were urging and begging Paul to let them in on an opportunity to give. And if that sounds strange to you, and it should sound strange to you, because the natural inclination of the human heart is not to be generous. That's the touch of God. That's an acquired attribute. Most of us, I would say almost for all of us, generosity does not come natural, right? You heard about the guy, he had done fairly well. His alma mater went to him and asked him for a, a generous donation. They wanted $50,000 towards the new dormitory that was being built on campus. And they, they knew he had done real well, and so the development officer took him out to lunch and made the ask, 50 grand, he said, I think you could do to help us out here. And he says, well, you know, you, you apparently know a lot about my recent success in business, and you're right, I, I have made... Uh, more uh, money than I know what to do with, but maybe you didn't know that my, my mother has fallen ill and she's in an, an extravagant care facility and it costs thousands and thousands of dollars every month just to take care of her. And he said, wow, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize that. And he said, maybe you don't know about my brother. He passed away last year and left uh, five dependents there to be cared for and uh, without a father. No, I'm so sorry, I didn't hear about that. And he said, well, you must be absolutely crazy because they haven't gotten a dime out of me. I don't know who you are to think you'll get 50 grand. <laughs> and the reason that's funny is because it just might be true. You know it, right? If you as a human being, when someone asks you to give or when you're challenged to be generous, if something inside you doesn't flinch, you're far holier than I, right? That's completely normal and natural. Every disciple, if we can own that, then maybe we can begin to own the touch of the miraculous in our lives to make us more like our God, right? So I, 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 I'm wanting to make the point this morning that I'm not talking to somebody else. I'm talking to each of us, I think. When it comes to being generous, that's a, 
That's an inclusive expectation and hope, I think, for every disciple. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, I think probably the two chapters that are more uh, in-depth revealing about what it means to give as a Christian and to be generous as a Christian are these two particular uh, chapters. And uh, something interesting is going on there. Uh, and, and Paul says this. Let me just jump ahead because it fits right here. In verse 8 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, it says, uh, verse 7, actually, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness. So it's not like discipleship is just about giving, and it's certainly not the case that you can buy your way out of being a disciple by what you give. But given all those other things, it goes on to say, and in love, which we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. What gracious work? Well, it was this thing that they were begging Paul to let them in on in participating. And he would have given them a pass because the churches in Macedonia were known for the depth of their poverty, right? So it, it, it could be almost thought of as insulting to invite someone who is challenged financially to give. But instead, their response was one of begging Paul to let them in on this. What was this thing that was going on? Well, they had been inspired, you see. The people in Corinth, that was one of Paul's missionary churches. If, if this is the, the edge of, the Mediter- uh, of, uh, of Palestine and so forth, Paul had come up from Jerusalem, left Antioch, sailed over to the European coastline, and had looped a loop of establishing churches. And Paul's practice was to be that he would leave Antioch again and again, revisit the churches he had visited before, and then stretch out and plant some churches beyond that. And so as he's going for one of these extra loops in Macedonia, he tells about what happened at one of his past churches on the first loop, which was in Corinth. And in Corinth, they had heard about something that had happened in Jerusalem. Do you remember Jerusalem? Jerusalem where the church was born, the church that that was so generous that they went and they sold their homes and gave them to one another just as each had need. You read that in Acts 2.42? I mean, it's insane kind of generosity that's going on there. Had they messed up? Had they blown it? Some people might have said so because a few years after, they had gone all in and sold everything they had. An incredible famine hit Jerusalem. And now the church that had given so generously was now in great need. They didn't have enough to feed themselves. And Paul comes from Jerusalem extending the gospel, but as he does, he lets know the news from back home that the church in Jerusalem is famished. And then the church in Corinth goes, you're kidding me. You mean the church that was so generous that they went all in and sent you and Barnabas and other missionaries here to us to start this church so that we would not be without the gospel and this relationship that we can have with God that we've discovered in Jesus Christ. The people who gave us that great gift are now in need back in Jerusalem. And Paul said, yes. And the Corinthians said, well, we know what we'll do. We'll start taking up offerings on a regular basis in order to feed them back in Jerusalem. And when you go and you plant your new churches on the way back, stop by here and we will have this offering ready for you to take for the relief of the church in Jerusalem so that they can know that the seed of their efforts is now coming back home, that they could not outgive God. We're going to show up as those who bless them back. (laughs) 
And so Corinth was pumped about this, man. They were ready to get it done. And Paul apparently was so still in the glow of what had happened to Corinth, he, he actually shared it with the Macedonians. And then the Macedonians, Paul describes it this way in chapter 8, that out of a depth of poverty overflowed a wealth of liberality. How does that happen? Somebody's heart had to catch on fire. They were so moved. Do you see the domino effect of this kind of generosity? They were so moved that they had to get in on it. And now they've given big. In fact, they've given so big that Paul has decided that they need an emissary to come back with him with all the cash that they have given him so that they can guard it and make sure it gets home safe and also make sure Paul doesn't dip in it as he goes home. That's basically what he was doing, saying, I'm wanting to verify this. I'm going to make sure this great gift gets all the way to the church in Jerusalem to bless them, and I'm going to invite some of you Macedonians to go with me. So as he's taking these Macedonians on the road back to Corinth, he starts thinking, huh, I wonder if these Corinthian Christians were just good intended, but maybe, maybe the human side got the best of them. And so he sends, in this letter, he says, I'm sending these Uh, scouts ahead to make sure that your previously promised bountiful gift, I'm quoting it, your previously promised bountiful gift will be ready as you intended it to because if it wouldn't, it would not only embarrass you, it would embarrass us. He doesn't want one of those embarrassed of my tribe moments about to, you understand what he's saying? So, so he's, he, he's, he's asking them to make sure that what they intended, you see what, what Corinth has done is they had pledged. They had pledged to give a gift. And because of that, you know, when, when you pledge to do a little bit what you can do over time, it grows into a much larger gift than maybe what you've got in your back pocket right now to give. I'm amazed at the level at which some Christians become generous with their lives. Because generosity is not something they're just moved to do or prompted to do. It's something they've so practiced doing it that they're beyond anyone's best try right now. There's people sitting around you this morning who've been tithing so so long in their lives that they don't even miss the 10% anymore. They've discovered that God can make the 90% go longer, farther than the 100% that they used to keep. In fact, some of them have actually discovered they can't outgive God. They've gone well beyond the 10%. They're giving so much that God keeps giving back to them, and they just become a vessel for his blessing in this world. I think that's what God really intends to happen. But you don't do that by trying to give. You get to that point by training to give. I, I, I try. You know, most, most nights I, there's this little loop uh, sidewalk behind our house, and I, I'll try some nights to, to walk two miles around it, you know. I feel pretty good about that old man that I am, you know. I got up the other day after Courtney and Drew had come, come to town, and where are they? Cheryl said, well, they're already gone. I said, what does she do? She, oh, she's running 20 miles for breakfast. Okay, do you understand? If I tried that, you would pick me up with a spatula. 
right, before breakfast. I would be dead. I would be done. I can't even try to do something like that. But she's trained, right? Drew and Courtney have trained. That's within reach for them now. That's habit for them now. That's stinking incredible to me. You, you watch someone whose life bears the fruit of training, and you go, wow, right? <laughs> what this world is waiting for is for God's people to be so generous just in their personality, who they are all the time, that we would create the same wow effect in the world. How are they freed up to give like that? Who are these people with these open hands? Do you remember back when Katrina hit and the Grigsby's, we, we, we got out of the Katrina mess and we brought them here to Tulsa and uh, we put them up in, a, in, a, in an apartment and so forth and then somebody had an idea. All these were y'all's ideas. I didn't have time for it. I was trying to build a building. But anyway, they, 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 they decided to uh, do a little garage giveaway. And so if, instead of having a garage sale, all of us brought our stuff that we could spare in order to furnish this apartment, but we didn't want to just put it in the apartment. What we wanted to do was to bring it up there, let them have the dignity of picking their own stuff in order to furnish this apartment. They'd lost everything in the Katrina disaster. And I will never forget what Miss Grigsby said. She walked into that place, and we told her what we were doing and that she could pick out anything she wanted to furnish her apartment, and she just kind of wilted up against the wall. And I thought, oh, no, have I, have I offended? Did I, did, I, did I say something wrong? And she just shook her head like this, and then she looked up at me, and she said, what is wrong with you people? God's people being generous like their God, it still stops traffic. However, He calls us to be like Him in this world, man, if we'll, if we'll risk it, if we'll let Him live through us, there's no telling what kind of witness it might produce. To be a giver, to be a person that we say around here, as, as one of our goals of discipleship is that we give generously. You, you remember the others. Our mission statement is that uh, to make devoted disciples, fully devoted disciples of these and future generations by participation in authentic Christian community. That's what we're about. And we define the participating in simple ways that we think gets at most of it by saying, if we participate, what we want to be practicing in that participation is worshiping regularly, fellowshipping faithfully, uh, serving effectively, and uh, witnessing fruitfully. Which one did I leave out? Thank you, kind sir, giving generously. And that's all Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, if you practice all these other things, make sure you don't leave this out of the mix. It's that important for us to properly represent God in the world. Give generously, okay? So generosity is inclusive of all that we're called to as disciples. But I think generosity is also something that's inspired. We don't come by it naturally. Our hearts are naturally selfish. Wish that wasn't the case. I'm glad for any way that God's starting to make that not the case in my life. But most of us, if we could admit it, uh, it... Well, you tell me, where does a $100 bill look bigger, in the offering plate or at the grocery store? 
right? I've still got enough of that fleshly, I don't know, side of me that resists giving generously. Paul said that I'm sending these messengers ahead to make sure that your previously promised bountiful gift has not been affected by covetousness, coveting. That's actually a little more than selfish. It's not just selfish and self-centered. It means not just wanting what you have and keeping what you have. It means wanting what others have, too, and resenting what you have. Covetousness. It's even a deeper level of infection against the good things of God in our soul. Paul urges us not to leave generosity out. He, include, he encourages us to be inclusive givers. And, and you know, the thing, the thing about giving is such that it, it, it is actually an act of worship to God. Did you know that even before tithing was prescribed in the Old Testament as kind of a, a measure for what it means to be generous like God? And that's why Jesus called him, uh, that's why God called him out and gave him the laws, because he wanted a people unto his own possession, a particular, peculiar kind of people, peculiar in ways that witnessed his kind of peculiarities in the world. He, he, he wants what he still wants now from the church, that he would so live in us that his difference would define us so that we would give witness to him in the world. That's been his plan uh, all, all along. But before tithing a tenth, giving a tenth, was ever legislated in the law, do you know it came up just naturally somewhere? Or should I say supernaturally somewhere? It was inspired. If you go back to Genesis chapter 14, you'll find Abraham being so relentlessly joyous and happy. Why? Because his nephew Lot had gotten involved in this skirmish when Sodom and several other... It was like five kings against four kings. So this was a huge war. And Sodom had been overtaken, sacked... And the people and the possessions and everything in Sodom by the people who won had, had taken it all and was now marching back to their land holding it captive. That was the spoils of this war. And it came to Abraham that his nephew Lot was somehow mixed up in that crowd and had been taken, he and his wife and his family. And so these that are precious to Abraham, Abraham cannot let them just go into that kind of slavery. He prays and he summons his men and they go on an impossible mission chasing down not one king in his army, but multiple kings in their armies, and Abraham alone with his mighty men overtake those kings and whip them, whip them, whip them all the way from the Dead Sea to Damascus, and he comes back with all that they had had back to Jerusalem, which was then at that time called Salem, Jerusalem, get it, Jerusalem, and, and he comes back to Salem, and there is this mysterious priest king that shows up from out of nowhere. Many think that it was kind of a theophany, something that God was doing. It, 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 Melchizedek then, this, this mysterious priest of the Old Testament, goes out to congratulate Abraham and to bless Abraham. And Abraham says, I am so pleased and so thankful to God, I shall give a tenth of what I have. And that's how the tithe was born. So later on, when God is trying to define what he means by generous to his people, he says, well, you remember your father Abraham? You remember what he did out of the joy of his heart? Do you remember that? It wasn't a tenth that was a burden or a tenth that was begrudging or a tenth that you cursed. It wasn't a tax. It was an expression of a worshiping heart. 
Lord Jesus, I love you so much, I give. Think about it. We, we understand this implicitly, you know, that, 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 that giving is a part of sincere loving. If that wasn't the case, then uh, when Drew got down on one knee, and I wasn't there for this, but I assume this happened. When Drew got down on one knee to propose his love to my daughter, son, you had a ring, didn't you? Did you have a ring? Okay, good. Are you with what, what if he hadn't had a ring? What, what if he said, Courtney, I sincerely love you with my whole heart and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but I've got the ring on layaway. <laughs> Even worse, uh, I've got this great ring picked out and if you, if you want to go by and pick it up, the payment started just this uh, for a month and it'll last. That's not the way it works, is it? When we are generous to God, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us to give begrudgingly or uh, fussing over it. The, the kind of generosity that blesses him is the, the generosity that comes from a, gift, uh, from, a, uh, from a cheerful heart. I think generous giving is always inspired giving. It's always inspired. It's, it's a response to something, not just something we work up in order to show ourselves approved or something like that. No, 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 no. It's a response to something that's already been done for us and blessed us. And that's why they were begging to give in Macedonia. That's why out of a deep poverty flowed a wealth of liberality. It, it wasn't just uh, inclusive giving or only inspired giving, it was intentional giving. I've made the point that in Corinth, unlike in Macedonia, I don't know how long they had to pick up an offering there. But in Corinth, this was a pledged gift. So no wonder it was a previously promised bountiful gift. is because they could build it up over time. On the back of your pledge cards this morning, there's just a, a little graph, I think, there that illustrates that. If you look at the percentage of your present giving that you give, if you give it over a time, over a whole year, look at what kind of gift that becomes. It's substantial. It's substantial. That, that's a difference-making-in-this-world kind of gift, especially if you're doing it on, on a regular basis. And th this is the interesting thing, that that kind of intentional giving actually has an effect on changing your stingy heart. It changes mine. You know, there's this thing that we do that's, you know, you can fill out the card and actually do it in such a way that it's automatically withdrawn from your bank account. Although I like that concept in terms of its regularity, in terms of its impact on your heart, I think you cheat yourself a little bit. You know, there's something that happens over time. It's this 20-miler it's this kind of stuff. It's the training part where, where every month, if, if, if God is gracious, you'll probably have some months where you'd have something else you could do without giving. Amen? Y'all are all looking at me like I'm just thinking about you and that situation you had four months ago. No, all, all, of, us, all of us go through that when we give. I, I can fulfill my pledge or I can get that new. 
yeah, you know, what do I do? And so if, if you're not just going out to try to run a marathon, if you're, if you're on a regular base training saying, God, I put you first, I'll let go of that. God, I'll put you first, I'll let go of that. God, I'll put you first, I'll let go of that. It's amazing how open-handed you become. Not just with what you're giving to God, but hopefully what you're giving to the waitress. Hopefully it becomes something that actually transforms your heart and transforms your character. That, that's the nature of what happens when we, when we practice giving. It, it was inclusive giving. It was inspired giving. It was intentional giving. I, I don't understand these people that say no, nowhere in the Bible is there an indication that the church pledged. That's right there. So I know I'm, I'm not going to deal with those emails, right? We've, we've got that one covered. <laughs> it was intentional giving. But not only that, it was, it was a giving that increased. And, and for this, in chapter 9, Paul, Paul uses the, the idea of a farmer, right? In chapter 9, he goes on to say, Now I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. That makes sense, doesn't it? You put a few seeds in the ground, you get a few of a crop. But if you put much, much seed in the ground, you get a multiplied huge crop and so farmers know that the seed that's most important is not the seed that you eat it's the seed that you give away because that's what's multiplied are you with me so he's using that principle here those who sow sparingly reap sparingly those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully let each one do just as he is purposed in his own heart why because giving comes from the heart it's a heart worshiping God it's an act of worship not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything that you may have an abundance for every good deed so, so he, he, here's, here's what's coming back. This is what's being multiplied. That God in your giving has a way of making you sufficient for everything you need. One thing. Your needs are covered. An abundance for every good deed. You will, be, you will have enough for more than enough to do what God calls you to do for others. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Who is that? That would be God. Because he causes the increase. And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, what you give away, and the increase of the harvest of your own righteousness. What's that? That's the change of the heart to be more like God. An increase of the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched for everything, for all liberality. I, I was puzzled. I, I, you know, it'd work much better with my sermon if it said, for all generosity. So that's really what I'm thinking there, but that's not actually what it says. Lord, if that's what your word says, what is it that I need to see? All liberality. Free. Free. Your money doesn't have you. You have it. Free. 
Free to do what he calls you. Free to be what he calls you to be. Free. Free to make a difference. However he calls you to do that. Liberality. A heart that's willing to trust God to be their provider. Even before he's provided. The next round. Isn't that just like God? Like with the, like with the sower? He, he'll give us what we need. Enough to eat. Enough to sow. We sow. The best corn, the biggest corn, the most corn that we can. Why? Because we know God is a multiplier. If you've got a machine, let's say, not just a God, but a machine that's a multiplier, are you going to give him what little you have over? Are you going to try to maximize what you have to give so he can multiply it? That's why so many Christians have this brain-confused, what is wrong with you people kind of thing about giving. They figured that out. They've practiced it long enough to discover that God is faithful. Bill Henson is a former boss of mine. And uh, he tells a story of when he was a young preacher in, in South Georgia that uh, he, he was going to seminary. seminary sorry, Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> seminary, not cemetery. Uh, he was going to seminary at the time, learning how to be a preacher and so forth. And he was at one of his first little churches. And uh, after church that morning, you know, word had gotten back to the folks that Bill's kind of getting tight with money, and if uh, uh, he had run out of money, actually, and he wasn't going to be able to pay his next semester's tuition, and he might have to take a break from school for a while and maybe get another job in order to be able to continue to go back and, you know, get through seminary and stuff. And, you know, amongst people who care, those kind of things kind of get around and he was surprised to be met after church. He would go to the back of the church and greet people as they left and so forth. And there was this little uh, six- or seven-year-old boy. And he, he had uh, an old piddle case that apparently his mom said it was okay to use. And he, he had inside of it a bunch of change and a few dollars and so forth and just a handful of it. And when he got to the back door, his dad was kind of, you know, you could tell he was proud of him, had his hand on his shoulder. And he raced it up to Brother Bill and said, this is so you can go back to church, back to school and learn how to preach. <laughs> and Bill bent over and he said, son, what is this? And he says, it's all my chicken money. He says, what do you mean it's your chicken money? He says, well, daddy's got a big farm, but I get to keep the chickens. And I sell the chickens and I take the eggs to market and I sell the eggs and that's all my chicken money. And the, Bill looked up at his father and he said, I can't take your son's chicken money. Are you kidding me? And his father wisely looked back at him because he cared as much about his son's character as he did his pastor's preaching. And he said, you've got to take that money. If you don't, it'll crush his heart. But God's teaching him how to give. And once he said it that way, he took his chicken money, and strangely enough, Bill went on to other churches and bigger churches, and to Houston First Methodist, was one of the most uh, prominent ministers in the whole United Methodist Connection at the time, and yet, uh, week after week, guess what? Another check for chicken money. And that chicken money grew from a handful of dollars and change to, to hundreds, to thousands, to tens of thousands. And after many years, that young boy was now an accomplished businessman, and he was flying into Houston and wanted to see his old preacher. Bill met him at the airport, and 
It was in that special place where private jets come in. He got off his private jet and he had another check of chicken money to pass along. And Bill just shook his head and he said, if I'd only known. And this young boy, now a man, looked at his pastor, patted him on the shoulder. And he said, I thank you. You're the man that taught me. I can't outgive God. To be generous like he is generous, that, that, that blesses us as givers. That makes us more his disciple. That, that gives us adventures of trusting him year by year by what we pledge to give and what he supplies in order for us to give it. We see the seed for sowing coming in because we've already made a pledge to do the sowing, right? We recognize it for what it is. God's been blessing many of you and you just didn't know what he was blessing you with. But those of us that are in that relationship, oftentimes it's almost kind of fun to stretch ourselves beyond what we think we can do so God can do, show us what he can do. Yeah. Right? And so this, this giving is not only something that's generous and from the heart, it's something that increases over time because as we trust God more, God can bless us more in order to make us more blessing. And that not only blesses us and blesses our church, it blesses all those that are touched by the ministries of this place. Y'all do all the work. I get all the emails. You, you're the ones that built a Habitat house years ago. You're, you're, you're the ones that uh, uh, are going to pack these 40,000 meals. Can you imagine meals packed in Jesus' name, blessing orphans with parents they didn't even know they have and they, they, they know don't know them. How are they going to make sense of that unless it's to understand that they have a Father God in heaven? That's beautiful. The impact of that. I got an email just this last week from, from uh, Titus in downtown Kathmandu. It was impossible for him to build a church in downtown Kathmandu. The, the land could only be leased and the money to actually build the building seemed like an impossible amount for us. But thanks to the transfer of dollars into whatever they used in Nepal, it only cost us about $15,000 to build his whole church. So now he has a presence in downtown Kathmandu near where the election polls were. And he sent me a text just this last week that they had closed down the... Uh, all the coffee shops for the sake of the election. And I, I, had, I had actually gone there years ago, and maybe that's part of the seed that you helped me plant. I got to train him as a pastor. And so I trained him to do this possibility thinking and venturing with God. And he saw when they shut down all the cafes an opportunity to minister to people in ways that would be under the radar in Kathmandu, Nepal, where it would be a crime for which you would be arrested if you were to share Christ in conversation with someone. So his people went out the day of the elections, set up tea booths in the town, and were giving away tea, and people would uh, ask them, free Really? It's free? Generous? Free? What's this? 
And they had all these kinds of wonderful conversations. Eventually, the other political party got suspicious that maybe they were doing something politically. What can motivate people to be out here giving away tea other than messing with the elections? So they then, they then had to go back to their church with their booths, so all the people went there. You can't outsmart God. What an incredible thing. I'm the one that gets the text over the months of the new people that he's baptizing and the baptismal thing inside of his church. I'm the one that got the email this last week from the band of brothers saying, Brother Chris, do you have some way to immerse people in the sanctuary in there? Because we got another half dozen guys we need to baptize. Because of your generosity, because of the ministry that you're doing, the kingdom is being impacted and lives are being impacted. It makes a difference. What you give and how you give, you take what you have and you put it in God's hands, he'll multiply it. Amen. That's just who he is. That's what he does. You take what you have, you put it in his hands, you trust him, and he will show you how trustworthy he is. He will inspire your faith by his faithfulness. But that's only the case if you get in on not just the spontaneous giving, which is beautiful, but the partnering with him. And so this morning, as I, as I ask you, if you're ready to fill out your pledge for 2023 and continue the ministry of this place, I, I want you to go ahead and do it. Maybe you've had time to pray that over with your spouse uh, and the people in your household. It's a beautiful thing just to go home and talk about it amongst you. Let your kids overhear the conversation. Let them learn how mom and dad are committed to giving. There's a whole generation to follow in the church that didn't grow up being taught how to tithe. Do you understand that? If the next generations are going to learn, it's going to be up to how we practice. They don't care what we say if they don't see what we do. But this morning, maybe you're ready to bring your pledge. If not, this little plastic bucket, acrylic bucket, isn't that attractive? So proud of that, isn't that nicely done? You, 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 can bring, you can bring that up this Sunday as we, as we sing this song, or you can bring it up over the next several Sundays if you're not prepared to prayerfully do what God's called you to do today. You'll have other opportunities. We just want to be prepared for 2023 before we're in 2023. So if you would think about it and think about what your part is, how you might participate in authentic Christian community, that's what we're about here, and that's what your giving goes to support. So I want to invite you this morning, if you're part of our church, to be a part of this practice that's ours as we try to grow in generosity as disciples. If you're not a part of our church yet, know that we're so glad that you're here. And we hope we'll take, you'll take with you this, this principle of being generous in Jesus' name. I hope today your waiter or your waitress would be touched by your generosity and just become curious about where it comes from. You know, the people at that little restaurant down there started wondering who this guy was, right? And so I practiced some things. I taught Titus. I took him. If there's one thing waiters and waitresses are already in, always in need of, it's a good pen. Because you people walk off with them. <laughs> right? 
So I just took a handful of our church pens down there and put them in, <laughs> put them in the waitress bowl, right? It was just pens. It was just pens, but you would have thought I sponsored their Christmas. You know, even if, if, if you can nurture in yourself just a spirit of generosity, it's incredible how many lives you can touch. Would you let God do that in your own heart? Let him start it today. Would you practice giving somewhere or to some cause that you believe in? And watch him provide for that which you pledge. Become a partner with him. And discover that great truth. No one has ever outgiven God. And that won't start with you. If you've got some chicken money this morning. I know of no one better to give it to. Than the hands of God who can multiply it. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this blessed morning. We pray that you would make us generous. And, and Father, as we go from this time of worship and loving you and responding to you and your greatest gift, that's how Paul actually finishes that chapter, just exploding. Thanks be to God for your indescribable gift, the gift of Jesus that started it all, that started the domino effect of generosity like that in this world. Father, would you continue it here? We're so thankful for Christ, so thankful for the gift of Jesus. Whatever we give, Lord, we honor the fact that it's worthy of him. Bless these gifts that they might do more in your hands than they could do just within ours. Bless not only what we give, Father, bless what you've given us to sustain us, to empower us, to do all that you call us to do. Bless what we give, bless what we keep, Father, that you might increase in us being a blessing. We pray over this meal that we're about to partake of before we make all these 40,000 meals for these orphans in Honduras. And Father, we pray that wherever these meals go, that you by your spirit will see a child whose language we might not even be able to speak. But they'll receive the little thing that we have to give. And somehow they'll be reminded of you. That greatest gift that we have to give. Thank you, God, for the blessing of this morning. Free. Free to give. Begging to give. Because of the way you've blessed us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you have your pledge card during this song, we invite you forward to just place it in our collection box. Amen. Come as you will.